Good morning, everyone, and welcome to Informatica's third quarter 2021 earnings conference call. My name is Lauren, and I'll be your event specialist today. After the speaker's remarks, there will be a question and answer session. If you would like to ask a question, please press star followed by one on your telephone keypads. I would now like to introduce our host, Victoria Hyde-Dunn, Vice President of Investor Relations. Victoria, please go ahead. Thank you, Lauren. Good morning, and thank you for joining us to review Informatica's third quarter 2021 earnings results. With me on the call today are Amit Walia, Chief Executive Officer, and Eric Brown, Chief Financial Officer. Before we begin, we have a couple of reminders. Our earnings press release and slide presentation are available on our investor relations website at investors.informatica.com. During this call, we will be making comments of a forward-looking nature. Actual results may differ materially from those expressed or implied as a result of various risks and uncertainties. For more information about some of these risks, please review the company's SEC filings including the section titled Risk Factors, included in our IPO prospectus dated October 26, 2021. These forward-looking statements are based on information as of today, and we assume no obligation to publicly update or revise our forward-looking statements except as required by law. Additionally, we will be discussing certain non-GAAP financial measures. These non-GAAP financial measures are in addition to and not substitute for measures of financial performance prepared in accordance with GAAP. A reconciliation of these items to the nearest U.S. GAAP measure can be found in this morning's press release and on our slide deck available on our investor relations website. With that, it's my pleasure to turn the call over to Amit. Thank you, Victoria. Good morning, everyone. It is definitely early morning here for all of us on the West Coast. We are excited to host our first earnings call on the heels of a strong third quarter and a very successful initial public offering. I would like to thank our employees, customers, strategic partners, sponsors, and investors, all of whom helped us achieve this important milestone. Now, before I share our Q3 results, I would like to provide an overview of the market opportunity and our unique position in the market driven by our product-led innovation. Informatica is a leader in the cloud data management, purpose-built for cloud-native, multi-cloud, and hybrid workloads. Our vision is to be a cloud-neutral, single source of truth data management platform for the enterprise. The rise of digital transformation, the increase in data volume, data types, data latency, data fragmentation, and the adoption of multi-cloud and hybrid architectures have changed how organizations gather, share, and use data for decision-making and running their businesses. Businesses today have tremendous fragmentation and complexity in a multi-cloud hybrid world. SaaS apps such as Salesforce, ServiceNow, Adobe, and Workday cloud platforms such as AWS, Azure, and GCP, cloud data platforms like Snowflake and Databricks, and many cloud databases are all being adopted. But many on-prem legacy apps are still operational. 
a hand-coded or a limited single point solution simply cannot fulfill the needs of a modern digital enterprise that wants to move fast in its data-led digital transformation. So five years ago, we at Informatica undertook a product innovation-led approach to solve these complexities of data management and set out an ambitious strategy to transform our business from an on-prem, single product-centric software company to a cloud-native technology platform supporting multi-cloud and hybrid work environments. We re-architected from ground up a modern, metadata-centric data management platform that is cloud-native, API-enabled, leverages many open-source technologies, and uses a microservices-based architecture, which can be deployed on-prem or in the public cloud. We built our AI engine, Claire, that is embedded in the platform to drive intelligence and automation at scale. We call this platform the Intelligent Data Management Cloud, or IDMC. As we transformed our financial model from a perpetual license and maintenance revenue model to a subscription-based revenue model with cloud revenue as the fastest growing component, these significant initiatives were all completed ahead of the IPO. With that as background, I would like to now discuss how Informatica has emerged as a leader in data management and our strategies for continued growth. I will provide an overview of five key unique attributes and discuss our business updates. First, and most important, it's product innovation. We've always had the clarity to focus on data management category and have dedicated significant resources, including over $1 billion in cumulative R&D spending over the last five years. These investments have resulted in best-of-breed solutions on the industry's only AI-powered data management platform, IDMC, for multi-cloud and hybrid workloads. We are a rare software company that is a leader in every Gartner Magic Quadrant it competes in. And in 2021, it marked the sixth straight year that Informatica was named a leader in all of our five data management Magic Quadrants. IDMC platform runs at a substantial scale. We processed over 23 trillion cloud transactions per month as of September quarter end, with an unparalleled breadth of over 50,000 metadata-aware connectors. And our new product innovation represented 85% of our subscription ARR in Q3. Second, it's our vendor neutrality. We call ourselves the Switzerland of data, and we believe in winning together with our partners. Enterprises across the globe have invested in a heterogeneous infrastructure and expect vendor neutrality. We sell our solutions through a direct global sales team, which is enhanced and complemented by our relationships and collaboration with strategic partners, including hyperscalers, global system integrators, and channel partners. Our partner strategy is focused on delivering a complete end-to-end -end solution for our customers, driving general awareness of our platform, and broadening our distribution, and reach to new customers.
Third, we participate in a $44 billion addressable market with cloud increasingly growing faster than on-prem workloads. Accelerated adoption of cloud, digitization, expanded need for intelligent analytics, and large-scale disruption in data warehouses and databases is fueling the demand for data management solutions that are cloud-needed and delivered on a platform versus siloed best-of-breed format. Fourth is our strong global customer base. The effectiveness of our go-to-market strategy is evident with our 5,000-plus customers in more than 100 countries and territories worldwide. Our platform is used globally by organizations of all sizes across a broad range of industries, including government agencies and high-profile brands that trust us with their data management needs. We are well represented in nine of the Fortune 10 and 84 of the Fortune 100. Our net promoter score is 55, and we are honored to be recognized recently for an outstanding customer service experience by J.D. Power in Certified Technology Service and Support Program 2021. Finally, we have the additional opportunity to migrate our maintenance customers to cloud subscription revenue. The majority of our 551 million of maintenance PRR comes from traditional data integration products. These three quarters ago, we started a cloud migration program to support customers' migration efforts based on their demand cycles. Today, only 1% of our installed bases migrated to the cloud, and we believe this is a long tail incremental opportunity for us. With that as background, now let me share the summary of our Q3 results. In Q3, total annual recurring revenue or ARR growth accelerated 17% year over year to $1.3 billion. This was fueled by subscription ARR of $736 million, growing at 36% year over year. Now, as I said before, 85% of this subscription ARR comes from our net new products on IDSC. Cloud ARR growth accelerated to 44% year over year, and total revenue grew 11% year over year to $362 million, driven by subscription revenue of $194 million, growing at 31% year over year. Next. Let me provide some business highlights from the third quarter to accentuate the numbers. Starting product innovation, we extended our IDMC platform with several product releases. In Q3, we delivered a unified cloud-native data governance and catalog SaaS offering with integrated data and AI governance and Claire, our AI engine, powered intelligent automation. Second, we accelerated our customers' MDM deployments with an enhanced no-code application composer and Claire-powered customer record matching recommendations that simplify and enhance user experience and dramatically improve productivity. And lastly, in support of our data warehouse and data-like environments at our customer sites, we extended our Informatica cloud mass ingestion solution, providing customers with a very simple wizard approach to ingest data from SaaS and on-prem apps to support application synchronization and analytics in the cloud. 
We also introduced Informatica's petabyte-scale ELT processing that now delivers up to 10 times faster performance for Snowflake, BigQuery, and Databricks SQL, enabling users beyond IT to leverage the performance and scale of these cloud-native platforms. We have additional plans to expand IDMC capabilities in the fourth quarter and look forward to sharing future updates. Now turning to our strategic partners, our partnership with cloud hyperscalers, including AWS, Microsoft Azure, Google Cloud, Snowflake, and Databricks, continues to grow. In Q3, we observed a 60% sequential quarter-over-quarter growth in co-cell wins. IDNC is also available on AWS, Azure, and Google Cloud marketplaces. And in Q3, we delivered over, rather, we achieved over 150% sequential quarter-over-quarter -quarter growth in marketplace transaction volume. A very valued ecosystem partner is Snowflake. In September, we announced with an on-prem cloud modernization program to help our joint customers modernize our traditional power center ETL and ELT workloads to the cloud 12 times faster than before, with 90% of greater automation conversion to the Snowflake data cloud. One of the largest global pharmaceutical companies intends to migrate 25,000 mappings, power center data mappings, to IDMC and repoint the data flows to Snowflake's data cloud. Turning to customers. In Q3, we added 11 net new subscription customers that spent more than a million dollars in subscription ARR, ending the quarter with a record 127 customers and 44% year-over-year growth. We're also introducing a new metric. Customers that spent more than $100,000 in subscription ARR, which totaled 1,577 customers, an increase of 28% year-over-year. Enterprise demand remains strong and we sell into accounts. We win with our single technology cloud platform offering IDMC. 55% of subscription customers are net new, with great results from our go-to-market strategy. As customers see the value of our offering for their initial use cases, they often expand into additional use cases across the organizations, and we have seen that in our overall average ARR per customer roughly double over the last three years. This expansion is also aided by our recent introduction of consumption-based pricing for our cloud products. In fact, our average ERR per customer was $208,000 in Q3, double what it was three years ago, with an active base of more than 3,500 subscription customers. Let me give you three customer examples to enhance on these. One of the new logos this quarter was Prudential Financial. It's a Fortune 500 FinServe uh, leader with more than 1.5 trillion in assets under management across the globe. Prudential chose Informatica's data governance solution and cloud data quality to help build Prudential's modern enterprise data platform hosted in the cloud. The trusted data foundation will help them drive strategic initiatives around customer centricity, application modernization, and cloud data analytics. Informatica was a critical component, component of Prudential's global data strategy. This partnership enables Prudential to discover and govern data wherever it resides, accelerating its cloud migration, and unlocking new efficiencies across its high-performing organization. Now, 
We also continue to observe great traction among our customers to land and expand model. Give you two examples. Serious Health, a global Fortune 100 healthcare leader that operates an integrated model over 10,000 pharmacies, tens of millions of Aetna health insurance members, and a growing network of community health hub clinics. As Serious modernizes its IT infrastructure in the cloud, it needed a partner to help improve data quality and accelerate the migration of legacy systems with minimal impact on service times or business disruption. Informatica's data quality replaces work done by 20 full-time data managers using AI-powered quality checks to reduce potential errors by 99% and accelerate client reporting from six months to two to three days. Sirius continues to invest in its partnership with Informatica, most recently in Q3 going through an expanded deal for data as a service, which enriches address and geocoding data. And finally, another customer of ours is our international customer, Graf Savoy, a leading insurance brokerage firm in France and a subsidiary of Willis Towers Watson. Their key challenges included manually intensive data quality checks, delayed delivery of reporting and analytics, and missing connections between cloud, on-prem, and partner data stores. Grad Savoy chose Informatica's cloud integration solution as a central platform for all its data management needs to improve operational efficiency and its alignment with Willis Towers Watson, eliminating layers of legacy tech deck and migrating essential services without business disruption. Now, Grad Savoy's recent subscription to a cloud solution follows their existing Business 360 partnership they have with us, which started in 2020, which helped them launch their KYC or Know Your Customer Data Foundation in less than five months while working remotely during the pandemic. Now, in terms of our board, we are also excited to appoint Betsy Raphael to our board of directors and the chair of our audit committee. Betsy is a globally recognized finance executive with more than 30 years of experience in the technology industry, and we are excited to welcome uh, Betsy to our board. So, as I summarize, I believe Informatica is truly a unique company. We have fully completed our business model transformation to a recurring revenue business model. Q3 subscription ERR is growing at 36% year over year, and cloud ERR growth accelerating to 44% year over year. We have established ourselves as a clear leader of a $44 billion addressable market with a large innovation lead in the market, processing over 23 trillion cloud transactions per month on our IBMC platform. We have a proven land and expand model with more than 5,000 customers and upmarket focus on large enterprises. And finally, we have solidified strong profitability through our innovation-led transformation and see strong momentum with multi-cloud and hybrid deployments as we continue to help customers with their cloud migration journeys. With that context, let me now turn the call over to Eric. Eric. Thank you, Amit, and good morning, everyone. We appreciate you joining us on our first earnings call following our October 27th IPO. Our third quarter results were better than what we initially forecasted and were consistent with the midpoint of the preliminary ranges we filed in our final S1 last month. We had an excellent third quarter with strong revenue growth, increasing big shift to ratable revenue and subscription expansion with cloud ARR growth accelerating to 44% year over year. Before discussing our Q3 earnings results and our financial outlook for the fourth quarter and full year 2021, 
I'd like to first review some important aspects of our financial model, considering that some of you may be new to the Informatica story. Let me start with the background on our revenue drivers. Our subscription revenue is recognized rapidly for our SaaS offerings and partially recognized upfront for our self-managed offerings per ASC 606. We provide guidance and disclosure on ARR metrics to provide an enhanced view of our business as ARR closely tracks the recurring cash flow characteristics of our business. Maintenance represents the ratable revenue and support contracts for a pre-existing installed base of professional license. Professional services revenue reflects typical consulting and education revenue, which is recognized as work is performed. Finally, perpetual license revenue has now become an insignificant percent of our total revenue, declining from roughly $300 million annually several years ago to around $45 million today on a trailing 12 months basis. Prospectively, we have largely stopped selling perpetual licenses, except for pre-existing contractual commitments and smaller distribution-led geographies like Southeast Asia. The majority of our product development and go-to-market efforts are focused on all things related to subscription and cloud. As of today, for example, we estimate that over 80% of R&D efforts are related to cloud products. As a result of this focus, subscription revenue grew 31% year-over-year, and now 92% of our GAAP revenue is recurring in Q3. This gives us P&L predictability and leverage at the bottom line. This is demonstrated by a non-GAAP operating income margin of 25% through the first nine months of 2021. Our subscription products are sold with contracts primarily with a one, two, or three-year term, with an average new contract term slightly over two years, a duration that has been relatively constant over the last few years. Now, moving on to our third quarter financial results, total revenues grew 11% year-over-year to $361.8 million. The increase in total revenue growth versus Q2 is driven by the strong growth in subscription revenue, increasing 31% year-over-year to $193.7 million and representing 54% of total revenues. Total recurring revenues of $331.3 million is 92% of Q3 GAAP revenue. As Ahmed mentioned earlier, we saw strong demand for IDMC Cloud Platform and continued execution on our land and expand strategy. Maintenance and professional services revenues were flat year over year and represented 46% of total revenues in Q3. Standalone maintenance revenue represented 38% of total Q3 revenues. Consulting and education revenue make up the difference and fluctuates based on customer requirements, representing 8% of total Q3 revenues. Professional license revenue was down to $2.8 million in Q3 and represented less than 1% of total revenues and only 3% of total revenues on a trailing 12-month basis. Please keep in mind that we are not actively selling professional licenses to new customers and expect this to remain an insignificant percentage of total revenues. We also expect that maintenance will gradually decline as we continue to emphasize net new business in the form of subscription and cloud. From a growth standpoint, we believe the best way to think about our revenue growth is the trends in subscription revenue. As customers move to the cloud, we expect the current 58%, 42% mix between subscription and maintenance revenues will continue to improve over time, with subscription revenue growing faster as a percentage of total revenues. We continue to see strong demand for our solution offerings internationally. Revenue from the U.S. grew 9% year-over-year to $228.8 million, representing 63% of total revenue. Revenue from outside the U.S. grew 13% year-over-year to $132.9 million, representing 37% of total revenue. 
We are still in the early stages of our international expansion of the cloud, and we see a significant opportunity in front of us as countries outside the U.S. catch up in terms of cloud adoption. We also focus on ARR as an important metric for understanding our business, since it tracks the annualized cash value collected over 12 months for all our recurring contracts, irrespective of whether it is a maintenance contract, a radical cloud contract, or a self-managed term-based subscription license. ARR expansion is a function of upsell, cross-sell in our large install base for sales to net new logos. For the third quarter, total ARR increased 17% year-over-year to $1.3 billion. Subscription AR increased 36% year-over-year to $735.7 million and represented 57% of total ARR, up almost 8 percentage points from a year ago and up 2 percentage points sequentially. This is a healthy growth rate for a three-quarters of a billion-dollar subscription business. Cloud ARR growth accelerated to 44% year-over-year to $287.2 million versus 39% year-over-year growth last quarter. Cloud ARR now represents 39% of total subscription ARR, up two percentage points from a year ago and up one percentage point sequentially. We intend to continue emphasizing cloud in favor of self-managed new ARR bookings to drive more overall cloud AR mix over time. As enterprises extend their data management platform to the cloud, we believe we are well positioned to capitalize on the secondary trend of cloud migration. And lastly, maintenance ARR declined, as expected, 1% year-over-year to $551.7 million and represented 43% of total ARR. The decline is directly related to the fact that we have significantly reduced our perpetual license sales by design to $44.6 million on a TTM basis ending Q3 2021 compared to $94.3 million a year ago. We are past peak maintenance ARR as we have completed the shift to a recurring revenue model. Another important metric of customer success is the subscription net retention rate, or subscription NRR. In Q3, subscription NRR was 116% compared to 113% a year ago. This improvement was driven by strong renewals and upsell across our expanded subscription offering on the IDMC platform. We've seen quarterly fluctuations in subscription NRR in the past, and we expect the fluctuation to continue due in part to the timing of large initial deal sizes expanding in the first year and the transition of our cloud business to usage-based billing. Notwithstanding that, we are operationally focused on driving subscription NRR above 120% as a longer-term goal. Before moving to our profitability metrics, I'd like to point out that I will be discussing non-GAAP results going forward unless otherwise stated. Q3 gross margin was 82.9% and consistent with a long-term model between 82 to 84%. Operating income was 94.7 million, resulting in an operating margin of 26.2% compared to 30.6% a year ago. The year-over-year change is largely driven by the fact we accelerated our investments in all functional areas to capture the significant momentum we're seeing in the market, and we had increased expenses heading into our IPO. Rounding out our profitability metrics, adjusted EBITDA was $100.9 million, net income was $57.1 million, and net income per diluted share was $0.23, cents based on 249.3 million diluted shares outstanding. The basic share count for Q3 was 244.7 million shares. Turning to the balance sheet, as of September 30, 2021, we had cash and cash equivalents 
of $417 million with another $34.8 million of short-term investments. After net proceeds from the IPO and the full exercise of the green shoe, we raised $915.7 million net that was used to pay down debt versus a net cash utilization of $30.2 million. On a pro forma basis, as of September 30, 2021, we had cash and cash equivalents of $386.8 million, factoring in short-term investments of $34.8 million, net debt was $1.45 billion, and with a trailing 12-month adjusted EBITDA of $401.3 million, this results in a net leverage ratio of 3.6 times. On a pro forma basis, as of September 30, 2021, this is a deleveraging of approximately two turns versus last year, and in line with targets for post-IPO deleveraging that we communicated on the IPO roadshow. Going forward, we believe the business will naturally delever due to our healthy cash margins, and we intend to steadily reduce our net leverage ratio over the next two to three years to approximately two times. Unlevered free cash flow after tax was $62.9 million as of September 30, 2021, and it was $227.7 million for the nine-month ending period. Year-to-date GAAP operating cash flow is $142.4 million, an increase of 60% year-over-year due to top-line growth and working capital management. Now, before guiding for the fourth quarter and full year 2021, I would like to provide some additional color on certain financial assumptions. First, let me provide an update on shares outstanding. As I mentioned earlier, in Q3, we reported a basic and fully diluted share count of $244.7 million and 249.3 million shares, respectively. For the fourth quarter, we expect weighted average basic and fully diluted shares outstanding of $269 million and 278 million shares, respectively, taking into account the post-IPO grants we made in mid-Q4. Looking at the full year 2021, we expect ending basic shares outstanding to be 278 million shares. The year-end increase in share count includes Q4 post-IPO RSU grants for our global workforce, as well as the IPO and the fully exercised green shoe. Second, let me discuss our expectations for P&L tax rates. We reported Q3 2021 non-GAAP net income at a non-GAAP tax rate of 22% and expect to use the same 22% non-GAAP tax rate in Q4 2021 as we believe this is a good approximation for full-year cash taxes. We have also presented the 2020 non-GAAP P&L with the same 22% non-GAAP tax rate. Next year, we are estimating a 23% non-GAAP tax rate for the fiscal year 2022, and looking at fiscal 2023 and beyond, we expect a long-term steady-state non-GAAP tax rate of 24%, which reflects where we expect cash taxes to settle based on our structure and geographic distribution of operational activity. Third, we expect a sequential step-down in GAAP net income due to the previously communicated grant of employee stock options post-IPO and debt refinancing activities in October. In terms of Q4 charges, we expect GAAP-only stock comp charges of approximately $30 million, one-time GAAP-only fees of $31 million on the debt refinancing, and $23 million of non-GAAP expense in the other income and expense line consisting primarily of interest expense. To assist with modeling, for Q4, we expect non-GAAP net income in the range of $51.7 to $56.7 million, this considers the 22% non-GAAP tax rate and excludes refinancing and stock comp charges. And we expect a GAAP net loss range of approximately 63 to $68 million in Q4. 
Now, taking this all to account, we are establishing guidance for the fourth quarter of 2021, ending December 31st, 2021, as follows. We expect GAAP total revenues in the range of $393 million to $398.5 million, representing approximately 5% year-over-year growth. We expect subscription ARR in the range of $795.5 million to $800.5 million, representing approximately 31% year-over-year growth. We expect cloud ARR in the range of 314.5 to 319.5 million, representing approximately 40% year-over-year growth. And we expect non-GAAP operating income in the range of 90 to 95 million. Taking into account the overperformance in Q3 and flowing this through to the end of the year, the guidance for Q4 assumes a modest increase in our full-year expectations for subscription ARR, total ARR, and GAAP revenue. This translates into the following full year 2021 guidance assumptions. We expect GAAP total revenues in the range of $1,430.8 million to $1,435.8 million, representing approximately 8% year-over-year growth. We expect subscription ARR in the range of $795.5 million to $800.5 million, representing approximately 31% year-over-year growth. We expect cloud ARR in the range of $314.5 million to $319.5 million, representing approximately 40% year-over-year growth. We expect non-GAAP operating income in the range of $347.5 to $352.5 million, and we expect unlevered free cash flow after tax in the range of $288.7 to $298.7 million. Please note that Q4 revenue and non-GAAP operating income will in part be dependent upon the mix of Q4 ARR additions of cloud versus self-managed. A lower relative mix on new self-managed will lead to lower gap revenue and operating income. In closing, our strong three-quarter results underscore ability to execute against a large addressable market. We're excited to now be operating as a public company as we focus on building long-term success for our customers, strategic opportunities for our partners, long-term value for our shareholders, and making Informatica a great place to work for our global employees. With that, Ahmed and I are ready to take your questions. Thank you. If you would like to ask a question, please press star followed by one on your telephone keypad. If you change your mind, please press star followed by two. When preparing to ask your question, please ensure your phone is unmuted locally. Our first question comes from the line of Cash Rangjan from Goldman Sachs. Cash, please proceed. Hi, good morning, and uh, congratulations on uh, the first quarter as a public company. This go-around, and nice to see that transition of the business model. I had a question for you, Amit. When you look at the quarter, are there uh, good tangible proof points uh, for customers that are moving their data warehouses to the cloud? Because I think the perception is that uh, there's – a significant amount of on-prem technology, but if you could just disabuse that, that perception and talk to poor points in the quarter and also your broader view as to how we should be looking at Informatica as it pertains to data warehouses moving to the cloud and how specifically is Informatica positioned for that opportunity. And then secondly, if you do have the time, the maintenance installed base uh, is, is, is a wonderful asset for the company. How should we be thinking about how you could uh, find ways to monitors and install base and help those customers embark on a cloud journey so you could achieve a lift to your subscription revenues longer term. Thank you so much. Thanks, Cash. Uh, good to talk to you again. Uh, 
So if I take the first question, first of all, all of the, if you think about the modern data warehouses and the modern data lake, pretty much all of our new products, which is 85% of the subscription ARR, is all tied to the new workloads that are happening in the cloud, whether it's Snowflake, whether it's uh, BigQuery, whether it's uh, you know Azure, whether it's Redshift, none of that is tied to any legacy data warehouse. The legacy data warehouse attached was our legacy product power center. So pretty much 100% of our new products on IDMC are geared towards that. So there's none of that attached to anything legacy. So just one good thing to clarify. And in that, obviously, sits not only new workloads, which is what pretty much 100% of the growth was in the last couple of years, now starts the journey to migration, which is what we talked about that we started three quarters ago, very much in its infancy. And I think to your question, look, I think we've done uh, a great job of, first of all, making sure we get the tech ready. We make sure that it's heavily automated. You know, I talked about 90% automation and make sure that it's as risk-proof for a customer, has reduced time to migration, so on and so forth, so that customers can, because these are operational workloads that customers are moving. So in that context, obviously, we are making sure, and, and you know, as we're working with the hyperscalers, as well as Snowflake, I gave you the example of that uh, pharmaceutical company that we moved to Snowflake Data Cloud with our cloud data integration offering at the same time, moving away from legacy data warehouse and a legacy power center. That I think is in its infancy, and I think Cash, we are gonna do everything to make sure it's reduce the risk for our customers, but at the same time, meet the customer where they are. Uh, I continue to see accelerated momentum over there, but that's gonna remain a medium to long-term opportunity. As I said, we're gonna do our best to make sure the customer is risk-proof because it's not a ad hoc analytical workload, it's a true operational workload. So once again, I think in the context of all of the work that we do with IDMC and our new offering is pretty much only tied to the next-gen data warehouses of Snowflake, Databricks, BigQuery, Azure, or AWS. None of that is tied to anything legacy. Great to clarify that. Thank you. And then the maintenance install base and programs where you could, you could uh, offer incentives for your customers to move to the subscription to business model, not to mention the cloud as well. Thank you. Was that, sorry, oh, that's yeah, that an additional question? Apologies, Cash's line is now muted. Okay, if you would like to ask a follow-up question, then please press star one. Our next question comes from the line of Mark Murphy from JP Morgan. Mark, please proceed. Yes, thank you very much, and I'll add my uh, congrats on a great performance. Amit, uh, first of all, wondering if you could update us on the effectiveness of your AI and machine learning capabilities, uh, which are embedded into your Clara product. I'm wondering about the amount of automation that that can handle uh, right off the bat, and how important is that as a differentiator for Informatica when, when you are in competitive sales cycles recently? Uh, thanks for the question, Mark. Hope you're doing well. Uh, first of all, I think a uh, couple of dimensions. Uh, when we uh, look, I think, as I mentioned, even during the roadshow, 
we conceived of CLAIR many years ago when I think nobody even thought of what CLAIR could be in the world of data management. It's a huge differentiator for us. I mean, first of all, I think again to level set, CLAIR is our embedded AI technology on the platform embedded in every product and it comes out in different ways, shapes or form for automation and intelligence. And you know, when I talked about, uh, I'll give two different examples. When Cash was asking the question about maintenance, when we talk about 90% automation of migrating uh, the, the traditional on-prem workload to cloud, that automation comes from Claire. Because Claire goes under, understands the metadata and it understands all the complex business logic that's written and which, to be honest, is practically impossible uh, for, for anybody to keep opening one by one. The 25,000 mapping example I gave of a customer that's moving to the cloud and automates that migration to the cloud. So that's that's tremendous amount of uh, automation tremendous amount of reducing the risk, and uh, so that, that's one example. On the other hand, when I gave you the example of some of the customer examples, if you look at uh, what I talked about, whether it was, uh, you know, a CVS Health or whether it was Prudential, you know, when we think about reducing potential errors, you know, back in the old days when you look at rules-based things, you know, you can only get to whatever 85, 90, or sometimes even less than 80 percent. With Claire, we are able to get to 99 percent over there. So that's the, uh, that's the ability for Claire to run at scale across an enterprise and with its massive amount of intelligence to not only, first of all, track things, but fix it in the context of that particular use case. Uh, so that's the kind of scale at which what we see. And when, you see, when I talk about the IDNC platform and the 23.3 trillion cloud transactions per month running, all of them are basically, yeah, Claire is looking at it, processing it, helping customers get better at scale and intelligence. So those are the examples that we see. So it becomes a huge differentiator for us uh, in the context of customer deals. Okay, I see. As a quick follow-up for uh, maybe for Eric and uh, and possibly uh, Amit as well, when we when we observe the, this hyper growth that you have in in your cloud ARR and the, and that also accelerated, I'm curious. To what extent do you see signs of the major SIs, such as Deloitte and Accenture, increasingly recommending Informatica as part of their own standard digital transformation package, or possibly advising that companies should be executing on a data transformation as, as a part of the digital transformation and uh, kind of automatically pulling Informatica into that, those kinds of discussions? Is there much pull through there? Yeah, so Mark, so let me add color on that one. First of all, as I mentioned before, all the key large SIs have dedicated practices on Informatica, which includes uh, tens of thousands of trained developers. Uh, they have obviously, uh, which obviously on all of our new technology, and all of them have a next-gen reference architecture in which the IDMC platform and its core components are part of that reference architecture. And when you think of the Accenture and Deloitte of the world, which are obviously very, very close strategic partners of ours. That's what they mean. When they're talking to a customer about their data-led digital transformation, uh, and they're having a strategic dialogue, we are part of that business and technical reference architecture. And then, obviously, the other way where we see that the relationship becomes very deep is, as I mentioned even during the roadshow, is the trifactor of us with a system integrator and a hyperscaler. Large transformation initiatives, customers want us to go together, that reduces their risk, that increases the, that reduces the time to value, and that's where also uh, the SIs, uh, the hyperscalers and us have a deeper partnership as we go in together. 
Understood. Thank you very much. Our next question comes from the line of Alex Zukin from Wolf Research. Alex, please proceed. Hey, thank you guys for that. Uh, congrats on, on a, a great IPO and first quarter out of the box. Um, maybe the first question, you mentioned NRR uh, is being driven by broader product adoption across the entire IDMC platform. Now, you saw that improve 20 basis points in the quarter. Your goal is to get that north of 120%. Can you talk to maybe which products are resonating the most with customers and how you expect platform adoption to trend over the next few years? Let me, let me take the first one and have Eric uh, add more to the growth that you've seen over there. See, uh, I think uh, uh, it's good to talk to you. First of all, it's the platform. For us, we have three journeys we talk about, analytics, business 360, and data governance and privacy. And, you know, as I mentioned even during the roadshow, customers can land in any journey and expand in that journey as they expand the use case or expand across journeys. And pretty much every enterprise customer is doing all of those three journeys. So if you are moving your analytics to the cloud, let's say this example I gave with a large pharmaceutical company with us and Snowflake Data Cloud, they pretty much want some, some, some ability to do data governance on top of it across an enterprise. So those become very natural. So our expansion opportunities come from both. Increased use case of a particular use case a customer starts in, whether it's analytics or anything else, or going from a use case to another. We're ambivalent. Our goal is to help the customer adopt the platform get business value from it across multiple products of ours. It is in that context also that we introduced consumption-based pricing this year to reduce the barriers for the customers to adopt any of the technology of the platform. So that's how we see it. Even the customer examples I gave you, take Grats Avoid, they were a business 360 customer last year and they expanded into modernization and analytics this year. Uh, that's literally how it goes. I let Eric add more to the growth of NRR. Yeah, the other thing I would point to is that it's, uh, this is kind of broad-based progress, and so you know, we highlight our million-dollar-plus subscription ARR our customers as a metric. We've also introduced 100K or better subscription ARR our customers as a metric, you know, just to punctuate the fact that um, you know, we have a, a broad-based participation uh, here. Uh, the other thing that uh, I would point to is just the overall average subscription ARR across the entire install base of 3,500-plus subscription customers. You know, that's over 200K, 208K to be more precise. Uh, it's basically, you know, doubled over the last, you know, several years. So it gives you an indication of the ability of the IDMC platform. Now, at its point, we can land in one particular use case, but invariably people will get into, you know, data quality, data governance, and most everyone is now excited about the, uh, you know, the data catalog itself. So, uh, again, this is the advantage of having a, um, a best of beat products on one single integrated IDMC platform. That's, that's very helpful. And, and I guess, uh, Amit, you touched on the consumption-based pricing. Um, talk to us a little bit about, you know, how how uh, how relevant is that motion today within your customer base? How fast do you expect it to scale? And, and maybe which products or which SKUs uh, do you find it having the most resonance on with customers? Yeah, no, that's a good question again. So early days, we started it this year. Uh, I firmly believe in, I think, one of the big differentiators for us as we've become a, a, the cloud-first company is that we are very uh, good about learning. We iterate, we, we try things, we learn, and we keep improving. So consumption-based pricing is something that we started this year. Uh, great early traction. First of all, it's across the platform. Again, as I said, think of it this way. It's 
a great win for the customer. We all understand because they, they can begin from anything and go to anything. The other one importantly for us is that it reduces the barriers to consume any technology on the platform. So you know, if you're a customer, you begin with some, you know, I want to ingest some data from SaaS apps into my data lake as an example. Oh good, I did that. Now I actually want to use your, and for that I use your mass ingestion capability. But you know, quickly I want to uh, go into and start, and I suddenly feel like it's a good operational use case. I want to do some uh, data quality on top of it. Oh, by the way, I did that, but hang on a sec. Now I brought some more data from databases. I want to use some database uh, integration, uh, data integration capability. Oh, suddenly I want to put some uh, governance on top of it or catalog. Completely reduces the barriers to use different technologies. And of course, drives more consumption because we have much more to offer on the platform for customers to use. So great early traction. We're learning from it. Uh, fully expect that to continue to scale and grow in the coming years. So we'll talk more about it, but uh, so far, great learning from our customers and good adoption. Perfect, thank you guys so much. We now have a question from Andrew Nowinski from Wells Fargo. Andrew, please proceed. Great, thank you for taking the questions. Um, so I wanna start with a question on your announcement with Snowflake, uh, where customers can use Informatica to you know, make the conversion to cloud, I think 12, time, 12 times faster. Is Snowflake bringing Informatica into deals uh, you know, where the customer was already considering Snowflake, but since you make it easier to convert to their cloud-based solution, the customer also chooses Informatica? I'm just wondering if that relationship is more of a pull versus push where Snowflake is pulling Informatic into deals? We have a very deep strategic partnership with Snowflake. Uh, you know, Frank and I chatted a couple of weeks ago, uh, and I think, uh, in fact, we had a huge customer event where their uh, chief product officer, Christian, and my chief product officer, Jitesh, they did a joint uh, you know, webinar for our joint customers. Uh, in fact, the large pharmaceutical company I, I talked about was showcased on that webinar. Uh, we have two types of partners with them, very strong, deeply product technical partnership, and of course, a very strong go-to-market partnership. And, and it's, it's a bi-directional one. We're jointly going into customers. There's a lot of work happening in the field as we speak now, uh, helping customers modernize at scale, and we see great traction with them. We see great traction with us. It's a, it's a very strong mutual product and go-to-market collaborative partnership between the two companies. And as I said, the other layer I'll add is that I keep saying, I think the question was asked before, in a lot of cases, it becomes a trifactor. System integrators have practices on us, and they have practices on Snowflake, and they want to work with both of us because large digital transformation initiatives invariably in, in require modernizing the data warehouse, modernizing the data management uh, infrastructure, and larger systems and processes around it. So the trifactor makes it even more uh, deeper for, uh, for us. Okay, thank you, Amit. Um, maybe just another question as it relates probably more to competition. I, you know, I think you noted this morning that you had 23.3 trillion transactions per month or the capability to process that many up from about 13.6 last year. I guess as, as more customers join the platform and add more data to the platform, I, I guess we, we should assume that goes up every quarter. Um, but I guess the, the question is really, is that, is that metric important to pr prospective customers? When they evaluate Informatica as a potential solution, or are they, are there other factors that they're looking at when they compare Informatica to other competitors? Multiple factors. 
Uh, obviously, the that metric is a good indicator of the usage of our platform. I think that that's a good way to understand because that's the scale at which it's not it's not that we are selling. Our metric is customers are adopting and using. We are big believers in customer success and making sure customers get business value, not just technical value. So when customers evaluate us, obviously they're evaluating us on, hey, this is the only at scale cloud data management platform with AI and have the full breadth of all the offerings we need for data management, which are all best of breed also. I talked about the first magic quadrant. That's product innovation. That's the one thing. Second is our huge focus on customer success. Uh, we've we've not just we just don't only focus on technical value, but business value creation. That's a big uh, shift as a company that we've made in the last uh, many years. And the third one is partnerships. I think we touched upon that before. Deep partnerships with the hyperscalers and the SI because customers want these are complex initiatives and they want value and they want to make sure they can get to that faster. That's the neutrality. Customers are in a multi-cloud hybrid workload, and they will be in that. It's getting more and more complex over there. They expect us, want us to be the vendor-neutral uh, player, and we are vendor-neutral to make sure that they can manage this complex uh, environment. That's what they look at us for. Got it. Thank you. Our next question comes from Koji Aikida from Bank of America. Koji, please proceed. Oh, hey, hey, Ahmed. Hey, Eric. Uh, congrats on the journey back to the public markets uh, and, and nice results here. Just a couple of questions from me. Uh, first one, you know, I recently saw a press release about this cloud data marketplace solution announcement. I found it so interesting. It, it seems like it helps to unlock customer data even further. So, so, so a couple of questions on it. Um, number one, you know, how, how does IDMC and the Claire AI engine help curate uh, what data appears in that marketplace? And then number two, you know, was this a customer-driven product innovation? And then I guess lastly, on, on the cloud data marketplace, you know, how, how should we be thinking about pricing or maybe an ARR uplift potential there? So uh, it, it's a great innovation from the team, first of all. I think when we talked about, uh, even in the roadshow, that we want to ensure we can help democratize data, uh, one of the biggest challenges we heard from large enterprises is that, you know, everybody wants tomorrow's data yesterday to make a business decision today. So we want to democratize data. But the challenge for enterprises for democratizing data is that you can't make it a wide west. So our goal has been there. Uh, we've been working on that for the last many years, actually. And to your question, actually it was both ways. Customer-driven as well as us seeing it. Uh, and, and, and so marketplace, the vision is very simple, like an Amazon marketplace. You go to a marketplace, and basically you can get access to any data across an enterprise. And, and the UI and UX, if you see it, is extremely consumerized. It's, it's meant for a user like you and I, Koji. We can go there and just literally shop for data. And you have shopping carts, you can drag and drop data in it. But the beauty is, under the cover sits all kinds of clear and all kinds of governance because it knows what data access you, should, you are provisioned for or not. And if you're not, you can ask for that access and it immediately routes the operational workflow, all of that completely automating it. And as I said, the experience is extremely simplified. So to us, in fact, I was talking to a large bank last week, and, and they're, 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 they're literally, this is the biggest pain point they have, and they, they're, they're actually looking forward to adopting this one as soon as possible. So we, these are capabilities that are extensions of our overall data governance and privacy product thought mindset, because that's another last mile to in a governed way of provisioning data. 
So expect more growth to come from these new capabilities. I mean, I go back again. We have a 44 billion TAM across these seven product market categories. We'll keep adding more capabilities. That's tremendous room to continue to drive more growth through more capabilities of the platform. And if you talk about AI, last question to you. Under the covers, what we have to clear is understanding the social graph of data, like a Facebook or LinkedIn. Understanding the full relationship of the data where it's coming from, where it's going. Understanding, uh, you know, who, figuring out data is sitting in different databases coded differently. So when you ask for customer data, or you type anything in plain English using natural language processing, it can go back and convert that into technical language. All of those things get simplified in a very consumerized UI through the marketplace. Got, got it. Thanks, Amit. Um, and just one follow-up here for either Eric or Amit. You mentioned a longer-term NRR goal of 120%. Just trying to understand, or maybe I guess how should we think about the newer consumption-based uh, pricing model playing as a driver uh, towards that target? Thank you so much. Right. Yeah, so um, yeah, we're at 116% today. Um, and under the covers um, in, in self-managed, we have this uh, interesting product category called DAS or Data as a Service, which uh, is oftentimes used just for discrete projects. And so as much as we'd like to renew it indefinitely, it tends to have a kind of a, you know, a, a 12 or 24 month discrete project-based term. And that represents, you know, 50, 60 million dollars of total ARR. If we abstract DAS from our overall subscription mix and then recompute, NRR, we're already at approximately 120%. And so we know that our plans call for adding more net new cloud and more net new self-managed in areas other than DAS. And so we think naturally over time, just given the characteristics of uh, the higher you know, NRR rates and everything other than DAS, you know, we'll, we'll get to that 120. Got it. Thanks, Eric. Thanks so much. As a reminder, please limit yourself to one question. Our next question comes from the line of Carl Kirstead from UBS. Carl, please go ahead. Uh, thanks a lot. Uh, hey, Eric, a question on your subscription ARR guide for 4Q801 at the high end. That implies sequential ARR growth of 65 million. That's, in fact, exactly what you did in 4Q last year, despite the greater scale. So at first blush, that strikes me as a bit conservative. So perhaps you could just talk through that and maybe there are some factors uh, impacting that uh, compare that you'd like to highlight. Thanks a lot. Yeah, I think that um, look, we're taking a kind of a realistic measured view. Um, we're feeling you know, good about the quarter. We feel like we have a better overall you know, product portfolio, you know, year, year over year. Um, and I would say that, you know, the fact that it's sequentially about the same as last year is I wouldn't read too much into that one way or the other. Um, what we're going to, what we're looking for is to increase the mix of cloud relative to the overall subscription AR ad. And I think we've been making progress there. You know, one point of mix sequentially, two percentage points year over year. And so we look um, as much to the cloud composition inside of subscription AR as the overall kind of guide for total subscription ARR. Yeah. Okay, that's clear. I'll keep it to one question. Thanks a lot. Our next question comes from the line of Patrick Colville from Duke Deutsche Bank. Patrick, please go ahead. Hey there, thank you for squeezing me in. 
I just want to double click on the cloud AR growth. I mean, which um, you know undoubtedly was probably the star of the show this quarter. I mean, 44% growth is, is pretty impressive. Which, if I'm right, is a five-point acceleration sequentially on growth and, and um, in kind of mid-teens year over year. Just help me understand versus last quarter, or probably more pertinently versus a year ago, what is in that SaaS line that is causing this acceleration? You know, in 2021, it, it, is, is the product suite broader than you had a year ago? Um, is the customer kind of demand you know, at SaaS now, whereas a year ago they weren't there? Just help me understand you know, that kind of acceleration dynamic. Thank you. Yeah, let me take that. Uh, all of the above, as you mentioned. So clearly, I think, as we even mentioned during the roadshow, uh, we we have been aggressively scaling our SaaS offerings on the IDMC platform. So obviously, the uh, maturity of that and more offerings uh, on the SaaS platform, uh, SaaS version of IDMC. And then customer demand. I mean, look, we serve enterprise customers. They are cloud-first, uh, multi-cloud, but they're also hybrid. And so customers are also getting more and more uh, aggressively moving to the cloud. All of that is playing into that growth number. And going forward, that's what we're looking at. We are basically investing more in cloud. We are absolutely uh, cloud first for all measures. But at the same time, I always say for enterprise customers, we're going to meet the demand where the customer is, which is private. So we're going to be cloud first, but health customers, as I said, I was just talking to a large bank last week, and they're like, hey, we want to do these things in the cloud. We're going to be hybrid, so make sure that we can get there in the hybrid way. Uh, we're just not going to be leaving. And if I want to catalog everything, I'm not going to catalog it in the, in the public cloud tomorrow. I'll get there over a period of time. And that's, that's what we see in our business cloud first, uh, but with hybrid workload support. But we see accelerating momentum towards all things cloud, which is what, as you heard Eric say, more and more product innovation is centered towards that. You see all our announcements. All of those things are centered towards driving more cloud innovation and Accelerated adoption of our cloud offerings within our customers and demand is there as well. Excellent. Thank you so much for taking my question. Our next question comes from Matt Hedberg from RBC Capital Markets. Matt, please go ahead. Oh, hey guys. Thanks for taking my question and, and I'll offer my congrats on the IPO as well. Um, you know, there, there's been some questions on, on the maintenance pr program here, and, and obviously it seems like one of the one of your biggest um, sort of call options, of, I'd say, converting maintenance to, to cloud. Do, do you foresee a time in the future where you know you might get more aggressive with incentives or or, or you know investor education or whatever it might be to sort of drive a faster conversion of that maintenance base? Let me take that and I'll have a few as well. First of all. We are absolutely going to be helping our customers move to the cloud and in that context, move our maintenance to cloud. <laughs> yes. Uh, having said that, I think uh, the biggest thing I remind uh, reminded everybody in the road is that these are operational workloads. Somebody is running a 10K, 10Q from that as an example. Uh, some of you are big. I mean, these are real running a proper business on that. So when a customer thinks of migrating that, we wanted to make sure and we continue to make sure that we can de-risk and reduce the time to migration, you know, by automating stuff, creating migration utilities. Uh, we went out there in the last three quarters and we have not only seen great traction in selling, but also traction in implementing, making sure we learn from that. We're going to work with GSIs like we talked a lot about, 
to then accelerate that program. You saw an output of Snowflake working with the hyperscalers to accelerate those applications. So absolutely from our side, our goal is to accelerate the adoption of a cloud from maintenance. Having said that, I think in the early days, we've, Eric and I have been thoughtful and cautious about it because we want to make sure that we learn and we help the customer get there without disrupting their business. So make a mistake on this one. We have a maniacal focus and we're going to continue to find every lever to accelerate that, uh, uh, make that a, maybe a German expressway, but there are no speed, speed limits ideally at some point. Yeah, I would just add two things. One, you know, what kind of incentives can we create? It's really through cloud-based uh, product innovation. So every quarter, there's more features. Uh, makes it that much more attractive for a customer you know, to consider that cloud modernization, um, you know, you know, opportunity, uh, you know, it, itself. The other thing too is that, in terms of our, our long-range planning, since we can't predict the rate at which customers will want to voluntarily engage in this, we've taken a uh, a prudent view of what the conversion ratio is over time. You know, one of the things we've reported is the uh, conversion ratio, you know, 1.8x. In other words, dollar maintenance converts to a dollar eighty of cloud. In our internal modeling, you know, we're, we're closer to a, a 1.3x assumption, which is you know pretty close to you know net margin neutrality. Because if we can't forecast that rate accurately, we don't want to be surprised in terms of margin impact. And so that's the way we're looking at this internally um, over, you know, the next three to five years. Thanks a lot, guys. Our next question comes from the line of Tyler Radke from City. Tyler, please proceed. Hey, thank you. Good morning. Thanks for taking my question. I uh, wanted to just ask you about the hiring environment. Obviously, there's a lot of headlines just around the challenges out there um, looks like operating expenses grew pretty nicely here in the quarter. Um, curious if that's if that's a good kind of barometer for for headcap growth and, and just what you're seeing on the hiring environment. Thank you. In terms of the hiring environment, and if you can touch on the the economic impact, uh, I mean, look, we are hiring across the board. We're growing uh, in every function across the company. And, and I think, okay, it is one of those environments we've created, uh, we operate in a, in a very innovative market. We have a lot to offer and we are involved. So I think we are uh, obviously seeing participating in a very aggressive hiring environment for sure. Uh, you know, I think in some ways we've been able to manage it relatively quite well because we are quite well uh, dispersed across the globe. Uh, for example, take engineering, we have global centers of excellence and uh, none of them are uh, across the globe, whether it's the U.S. or Europe or, or, or India. And so we've been able to manage it well. But yeah, it is definitely, I see when I talk to my peers across uh, different uh, companies, everybody is uh, looking at that. So far, we've been able to manage it quite well and keep our fingers crossed and uh, make sure that we keep executing. But yeah, we are going across the board. Yeah, I'd say that you know the one kind of improvement or opportunity we now have as a public company is twofold. Um, you know, we touched upon the fact that we've you have know, done broad-based you know, equity grants um, you know, across um, you know almost the entire organization, not 100%, but you know pretty close to complete. And so that's that's something we have available to us now that we didn't have previously as a private company. Uh, we've also rolled out you know ESPP, which again is uh, again a big uh, a big positive change for us. So I think we've um, you know, kind of quarter over quarter we've uh, improved our posture as far as that goes, notwithstanding that you know in, in tech. You 
We now have a follow-up question from Cash Rangan from Goldman Sachs. Cash, please proceed. My questions are answered. Thank you very much. I'll save you the time. Okay, we currently have no further questions, so I'll now hand back over to Armit for any closing remarks. Thank you. Well, look, thank you everyone for your time today. I'm pleased with our results, the team delivered, and believe we are very well positioned for future growth. We're off to a great start post-IPO, and a huge thank you to our team here, our customers, and our shareholders for their support. Have a good day, everyone. Thank you again. This concludes today's call. Thank you for joining, and I hope you have a lovely rest of your day. You may now disconnect your lines.